Hey, welcome to All the YA I've Loved Before, a podcast that dives deep into the young adult books and teen movies and TV shows that I loved back when I was a teen in the early 2000s, as well as all the new books and entertainment that the genre has to offer. I'm your host, Casey Racer. Hey, hi, welcome back, everyone. I am so excited to be here and not only giving you another episode, but giving you another amazing author who I just adore. This is Vanessa Abigail Lambert. She has her debut novel, Cider Mill Coven, coming out this week. Yes. Hey, Casey. Thanks hi. for having me. What of an honor course. to be here. I love Cider Mill Coven because it's got witches, it's got magic, it's got familiars it's just it's got 90s that's that's my ultimate favorite thing but can you just tell the listeners just a little brief synopsis little summary what you want them to know right away about the book sure so being that it's set in the 90s I wanted to pay tribute to the time but this is you know 2022 so inclusivity is something that's so so important now so it's kind of like a hybrid of the two so with that said I have three teenage cousins and that's the story kind of focuses around them. And uh, one is, you know, just a young, young girl, teenager. And then of course she's got her bestie slash cousin who identifies as queer. And then we have Adelaide coming in as the biracial, you know, just full of character and vibrant personality. Um, so we get one of those unique scenarios. We, we get a lot of representation in a singular family. Um, that was super important to me. Uh, and then of course, grandma Lydia with the, I don't, without giving away too much, but she's uh, a little bit all over the place, <laughs> but in the, the best possible way. So uh, we have the old, the young, um, you know, just a lot of different kind of personalities coming into um, this, this witchy experience when they're kind of thrown into this for the first time and navigating that. And we get to see through their eyes, um, all the magic and, and whimsy without it being too, too focused on, you know, just the regimented uh, learning process, but kind of some of the discovery of themselves, of just the culture, they're green witches. So we got that nature element too. And like you mentioned, the familiars got to have the pups and the cats. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. It is the perfect origin story to me but it it just has so much heart and the characters are so well written and I was so excited because I got to beta read this book so I got to read it first second whatever number I got to read it one heck of a job and (laughs) and I think the final outcome is only that much better because of your beautiful insight so thank you Casey and one of my favorite things about when I first read it and I think that I put this like right away is that the feeling that it gave me I felt like this was very fall right this like it was like a fall aesthetic I felt warm and cozy even reading it you know in the summer it's just like it's a nice feeling it's like a blanket wrapped around oh that is the sweetest well it is cider milk coven so guys it does take place on an apple orchard so get that uh you know that nice hot cider with those cinnamon sticks and if you're of age and listening get that you know that mold hard cider ready <laughs> and uh you know just yes. kick back with a nice blanket and I that was definitely the aesthetic I was going for it's something that I live for I'm constantly you know trying to 
hit up the wineries and orchards and things like that near me. So I wanted to bring that onto the page. And so if that struck a chord with I, you, then. I was going to say that clearly you're a fan of fall. So I thought we would just start out by talking a little about fall, because even though it is August, I'm ready for it. I've, I've been ready. I've been ready since the end of the last fall. Yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> November 1st. And I'm already like TikTok, you know, yes. when is this? When's let's, the next season coming around? Let's do it. Um, yeah. So what is your favorite fall drink? Oh, good question. I mean, I love, if, if you couldn't get the just, I love a good hard cider for sure. Um, but I do some of the places, because um, I happen to be in New England, but I love some of these eccentric different mixed drinks. Like I'm definitely identify as a foodie. That's another kind of theme you'll see in the story. Um, so something very eclectic that like, you know, smacks me in the taste buds. So if it's a hard cider, but maybe with a little bit of a twist, whether it like, there's a spot by me, they even do like jalapeno hard cider. And, you know, not that I want to drink that by the glass, but I love a good flight. You know, I love a, a nice variety. I wish everything came at a flight. I want to try everything. <laughs> yes. I love a good smattering. Like, you know, even for like the desserts, throw, throw me, you know, a good five or six options and I'll be happy. <laughs> A hundred percent. Last fall, my husband made us apple cider mimosas and they were perfect. Ooh, that does sound good. And you know what? When you're making brunch at home and you're at an orange juice, hello, easy Just fix. Two ingredients. Any kind of juice, exactly. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite autumn activity? Hmm. You know, I, I enjoy the photo of the Instagram on, you know, apple picking, the actual act of doing it. <laughs> I should be really crucified because I wrote a book about a cider mill, but I don't really enjoy apple picking. Um, so I do love pumpkin picking though. I love picking out a pumpkin. <laughs> and I don't know why. I mean, I guess I could qualify myself as an overthinker. But the amount of time I spend on the patch, just being like, hmm, this one is actually cute, but it, you know, this one's a little smaller. What a to do, but I love it. <laughs> it is fun. So I love to dress up. I love to do wild makeup and all that. And so of course, Halloween is everything to me. What was the best costume you ever wore for Halloween? You know what? Last year, even though it was, so I, I do a Halloween blowout for all my friends and decorate my house to the nines. I have, I even do like the department 56 village. I have like shelf after shelf of just this beautiful village all, all lit up. Um, in fact, one of my scenes is kind of inspired by that. Like if I could shrink myself down and like walk around in that village last year, my husband and I, we did, um, he has the whole beard and everything and into that kind of flannel grungy look, I guess you could say. So he went as a werewolf and I was like a sexy, but also, um, you know, dismantled <laughs> little red riding hood. And I did the slash on my face, but I had this cool, um, you know, like a corset style with a, just the lace up bodice. And it was just such a freaking cool look. I, I was so proud of that, that costume. Amazing. That sounds I don't so usually, cute. Yeah. I don't usually do like a part, a couple outfit, you know, mm -hmm. I kind of go my own way because I have a very clear vision for myself <laughs> and I can't expect others to rise to, you know, my expectations. <laughs> the opposite for me I pick out what I want to be and I'm like Ryan this is you this year <laughs> that's so funny what about you guys do you have a special uh, you know couples one that you've done in the past 
Well, so I actually used this dress two years in a row for different things. The first time I did a alien princess and he was a, he was an astronaut, of course. Okay. He gets like, he can just buy his costumes. They're very simple. And then the next year I did like a swamp queen kind of look. And then he was like a deep sea diver. That is so cool and (laughs) innovative. I love the originality of some of the costumes I've seen on social media. So it, it really, it sets the bar high. It it does. (laughs) Um, And then lastly, so, you know, here in the Midwest, I'm in Chicago. Who knows what the temperature is going to be on Halloween because it could be 70 degrees. It could be snowing. (laughs) We never know. But what in there too. Exactly. Uh, What is your favorite cool weather accessory or clothing item? Mm, Good question. I love a good fall boot. I do. I mean, I feel like in years past, if you go through my email inbox, you'll see boots like, thank you for your purchase. And it's like July. (laughs) So (laughs) I just get so amped up for the boot season. Um, Yeah. I mean, honestly, I love it all. I really do love a nice jacket. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. A flannel shirt. Forget about it. (laughs) I love the tights and like plaid and yeah, jackets. I, I'm not a person who likes warm weather. So I'm like, I, I wanted like a good 55 to 60 degrees golden. That's my sweet spot <laughs> as well. So I'm, I'm here with you. I know a lot I of people it. are enjoying the summer and the heat and, you know, sweating like a pig by all means, you know, good for you guys, but a nice cool day. I'm just in heaven. Exactly. So Cider Mill Coven is your debut novel, but when did you first start writing? You know, I used to write a lot when I was younger and uh, doing little short stories and things like that. I want to say, I I think it was third grade where they actually chose me and I would go to other classrooms of, let's say, kindergartners, first graders and read to their class my own original stories. And I enjoyed it, but I wondered if they were too scary for the kids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and not to say I wrote this like amazing horror story because I, I to be honest I don't really even identify in the horror genre for for this debut novel um but I was I never dressed goth but I was definitely like a, a goth girl at heart so yeah third you. grade fourth grade um and then I mean I, I'm always into dabbling in different creative kind of stuff so the writing continued but it wasn't It wasn't like I, you know, thought I'd be a full-time writer at any point. And finally finishing the first novel is a huge accomplishment, right? Because they're just, (laughs) there's so many steps, you know, details, so much work you have to do in between everything. And after you get your words on paper, even there's so much more work to be done. Mm -hmm. So what was the most difficult part of the writing and or publishing process for Cider Mill Coven? Well, for the writing aspect, I have a... I have a hard time shutting my mind off. So um, just, you know, separating that time for myself where I'm not obsessing because this was a two-year process in the making. And um, I think part of it that I did give myself was that incubation period to just kind of let these characters and the scenes and just like very um, overarching ideas kind of simmer for a bit before I put pen to paper or finger to key. Let's be real, <laughs> that's, that's really what the process was. Um, But then as I was really getting into the swing of it and getting closer to finishing and having this vision of, all right, here's my timeline. I'm like ready to to close this out. Um, Just giving myself more room for forgiveness that it's like, hey, there's not a hard deadline for this. You can't rush art. 
and um, just slowing down. So even, um, you know, guys, I don't know if you know this, um, but of, oh, of course, we mentioned the beta reader that uh, Casey stepped in for that. So when when I pass the torch over to you or some of my other beta readers or my editors and things like that, it forced me to slow down. And it forced me to kind of take a break from Cider Mill for a minute because I'm like, all right, well, what's next? Let's query agents. Let's get this together. Like there's always one more task. Um, and even for me, like I did a lot of the illustrations for the book. I was formatting my book as I was writing it and printing it with a small batch print shop to make sure, hey, do I like this cover art as the back cover copy? Like these are things a lot of writers probably aren't really worried about um, because they assume a publishing house will do this or, you know, assign an illustrator or, um, you know, at, during that phase, I was looking into getting licensing rights for musical lyrics. I would, I, because I'm just, a, I also own my own small business. So I was thinking of the big picture and it just never stopped. And you know, it's, it's still not over. <laughs> like, it's the marketing aspect is ongoing. And I have to just for my own mental sanity, be like, all right, this is not, not the end all be all. Gonna detach, um, definitely. Yes. But then the, the publishing part, the worst part of all of this, Casey, was the querying process. What a nightmare. I mean, literally, not to sound dramatic or petty, but dehabilitating to the point where it was so discouraging. And I was, I was almost at a point where I was starting to mourn the loss of these characters. Like, hey, maybe this isn't, this isn't what I, what I sought for myself, like how, how far this was able to really go. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of writers probably struggle or have struggled or are struggling with because it is very cutthroat out there. You know, there's only so many literary agents, there's only so many huge publishing houses and there's a lot of brilliant stories to be told and people who wanna read them, um, you know? So I just, I feel like the fact that I took, I, I finally was like, I'm taking the lead on this one and I am not gonna put my, my um, hitch my wagon to somebody else's story. I'm not going to wait for my opportunity to come. I'm going to make it on my own. So hence Coven of One Publishing and my tagline, Hex the Naysayers, because guys just keep at it. And from the people who have read my story now, it's just so validating to know, like I, I have pursued it. I'm glad that I went with it. Um, but Casey, you were such a huge part of that. Oh. So I don't, I don't think I told you fully when I reached out to you I had just had um, the past couple of weeks before that, I had my work, my manuscript out with an agent who requested the full manuscript. And I was like, please like make, make offers come in. You know, I was just, we had like good mantras and all this stuff. And we were just really, really hoping this would pan out. And if nothing else, I was at least hoping for some feedback, you know? And then when the email came through and I'm not even, I don't even identify as a super emotional person. Like I'm a passionate girl, but that day was like literally one of the lowest moments. So when I found you and you started, you know, beta reading, I, I first got in touch with you because I really just needed some feedback. Like sure, you know, the manuscript wasn't picked up. I respect that, you know, reading in general is very subjective, but when you came into the picture and you were like, oh, I'm loving this, I'm, you know, 
I, I didn't need you to blow smoke up my ass, but at the same token, like I needed you to blow smoke up my ass because <laughs> I just needed that pick me up and you were that. So when you, uh, you know, wrote up your whole write up, which I mean, the precision guys, if you're a writer and you need a beta reader, I mean, Casey was fantastic. The detail, the attentiveness, um, you know, it just blew me away. And I just felt like, Hey, you know what? I do have something really strong here. Maybe I can tweak a couple things to get it, to refine it to a point where it's ready for readers. And you, you were so great on the morale and like, I can't thank you enough. I don't know, truly. I don't even know if I would be here you know, surrounded by all my witchy nineties merch guys, pop-ups coming up all over New England. She's got <laughs> such great merch. I just don't know if I would have had been able to pick myself up. Thank you so much for the kind words. I'm glad that that helped you a lot. The, um, the fact that you were, you didn't owe me anything. You were in family, you were in friend. I mean, you're friend now. I do consider <laughs> oh, you friends. Yes. Um, but at the time you had nothing at stake to be brutally honest with me. And I think for so long I've gotten like, I'm, I'm super lucky to have, you know, a select few who are so like cheering for me so loudly, like they're sh- they're rattling the rafters and that's great. But I feel like I needed that outside opinion so that I can believe it. I just have one last question about your writing, which is what's your ideal writing environment? My ideal writing environment is me and my laptop portable on the couch, feet up, draped in puppies. (laughs) I have two dogs here. Um, My uh, Gracie girl is a fluff ball of a German shepherd and inspired one of the most lovable characters in the story. Um, And then my little guy Kingsley, who he's, He's a little fellow with a big attitude, but I love him. he's just my shadow and I'm, I'm so nocturnal. I mean, some of these pages were written, the sun was coming up to be honest. Yeah. So to have them there and just hanging out, have some music going it's for, so I'm a big time, big time into music and my story, not only does it have a Spotify companion playlist to kind of set the tone, make it as immersive as possible, but some of the scenes actually reference songs or there's lyrics or, you know, things like that. And sometimes I would just put on that kind of music. And I mean, guys, it's the nineties, like there's so much good music. So just, just making the playlist alone. And even if I'm in the kitchen, I got my cider milk oven playlist going (laughs) and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I could see this scene. I could see this scene. I, yeah, live it, breathe it and listen to it. Let's talk since this is a podcast about being a teen and how we felt then and what we read and watched and consumed. Let's talk about you as a teenager. What were you like? Well, I feel like I've kind of always identified as a coven of one and, you know, not to keep harping on it. It's a kind of a theme in my story. And of course the publishing name that I've got under, but I felt kind of an outcast in some ways. I mean, granted I've had friends and, you know, I'm not like a total freak show, (laughs) but I graduated high school early and I was just like, I was ready to get out of there. I, my mom jokes that one of her earliest memory or yeah, one of the youngest memories of me is reaching for the door handle and just like on my way out the door. I mean, that was probably like my first steps, but I just, I felt like I was so confined and I didn't feel at home. I didn't really, you know, growing up in the family that I had, 
they granted, I love my family. Don't get me wrong, but I'm the only creative. I'm the only one living in new England. I'm the only one, you know, there's so many instances like that. And I, it's, I felt that way my whole life. And even in my groups of friends, when I was younger, I just, I just didn't, I didn't really feel the connection that people truly got me. So it, it always made me feel kind of isolated in a in sense. Um, I could even picture, you know, a pep rally in my junior year, which was technically my senior year on paper and everybody's wearing their team colors. So like this, these rafters are in red and these ones are in blue. And I'm like, I'm in the back in purple because like, <laughs> you can't contain me. Like <laughs> you tell me to do one thing, I do the opposite. And I mean, it's not to say I was like such a rebel because uh, you know, in school I was like AP classes and, you know, higher education and bettering my circumstances so I could get into a good school and good career. But um, I was kind of like a rebel at heart in some ways because I just didn't want to fit into anyone's mold, which is part of why I always identified with that 90s grunge. Like, so I was, I was born in 88. So I got to enjoy growing up in the 90s as a kid but watching some of my favorite 90s movies I was like man my heart belonged as a 90s teenager you know going to college in the dorms and like having all the freaking awesome posters and the awesome music and um so now I kind of get to live vicariously through my characters and in a sense that's like my heart too (laughs) yeah it just it is popping up more I feel like more people are appreciating the nostalgia quality because I mean let's be honest COVID sucked. These last two years have been crap. So to have that escapism and to transport yourself to a time when things were just more carefree and, you know, the, and and it wasn't people, you know, rainbows and butterflies all the time, but it was, it was just a different environment for people. Um, I think that's really, really pulled at, um, you know, at people's heartstrings. They, they want to escape back to a time when things were a little bit more light and easy and even 90s con in Hartford this last March the the people that showed up for that the vibe I mean any kind of 90s event count me in like the between the music of course but just the the mood of the group is just so refreshing just went and saw uh Gin Blossoms and Bare Naked Ladies (gasps) which I love Gin Blossoms one of my favorite bands (laughs) I was like four you know Oh, wow. Yeah. Since the days of the Walkman, baby. <laughs> yes. Yes. I was born in 90. So just two years after you. Okay. Um, and I had younger parents, so they were very into mu- like the music of the time. And that's what I, I grew up dancing around to Red Hot Chili Peppers. So oh, I'm all about wow. that. Wow. Your parents had awesome taste. Okay. Yes, they still do. Well, yeah. So that's great. Yeah. My, my family is, was very eclectic. So I had all different kinds of genres coming at me from every which way. So I definitely had to refine my own taste, but yeah. it exposed me to a lot and really made me more, more versatile in my music taste. And I'm still that way to this day. What were your favorite authors and books that you read in your teens? Well, young teens, I was a Goosebumps fanatic. That scholastic book fair, I mean, that was my jam. That just like gave me life. Yes. Um, but, you know, of course, the writing style and stuff, when you're, you're ready to phase into something a little, a little bit more mature, I, it really spans the gambit. I, um, you know, got really into like 
Gossip Girl for a while there, or the Sookie Stackhouse series. And then, I mean, forget about it when the Twilight series came out. Oh my gosh. My college roommate and I went to go see it in the movies, like I think five times. <laughs> it's like embarrassing now when you think about it, but I just you know loved, it's, you know. It's not that embarrassing. I'm doing Twilight with Bellbird James, one of the other authors that have been on the show. I'm doing that with her in October and I'm so excited because I've never oh, read it really? and she loves it. So I just like, I'm really happy to get someone who actually really enjoys the material that to talk awesome. to and could try to convince me to also love Twilight. You know, and that's, I mean, not, don't have high expectations for the movies per se, but the books to read something for the very first time and to experience something for the very first time, like the cherish that because once you know it and you see what's coming, like you just can't get that back. And that's, that's true. You know, that's something so cool about reading or just, you know, enjoying any kind of media. Um, but the Twilight series, oh my gosh. You know, I feel like Stephanie Myers broke some rules and that's that's something that I love because look at the size, Have you, do you have them in hand yet? The size of these books, you can beat a man to death with these books. <laughs> and, you know, which is also kind of cool, right? But for talking shit about Twilight. Right, but, um, <laughs> but so it, I believe their genre that they were targeting is young adult. And that's one thing that I feel like a lot of the agents who were getting back to me, they're like, oh, how many, what's the word count? Well, we really want to keep it between like, let's say 70 to hundred thousand words. But I'm telling you guys, if a story is good, you don't want it to end. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to drone on and on like a Stephen King novel, but you you shouldn't have to stick to a certain word count if it's good. And look how well Twilight performed. Those books are heavy. Like you're going to be reading yes. for a bit, but you didn't hear any of the readers complaining. They wanted more. Look at all the fan fiction out there. I mean, that's how Fifty Shades of Grey came to be. So yes. <laughs> you know. um, I think that people continue to underestimate teens, especially teen girls. That's a big part of why I started this podcast because there's so much YA middle grade books that are just so like overlooked because of mm -hmm. their targeted audience. But yeah, sure. so I just think it's really important to still read these kinds of books if that's what you want to do, but also just to have so much more empathy and so much more understanding towards younger audiences and not underestimate them because they're smart. They're right. so smart, you know? Give it more credit. I completely agree. Or even some of the uh, restrictions and things. I don't know about you. I mean, kudos to my mom, because some of the stuff I was watching, like, <laughs> even the age of 10, no child should see that. Um, but it shaped me into who I am. I'm, I'm happy to have seen some of those explicit things, whether it's, you know, the shining at 10 years old or, <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe I had some nightmares, but I feel like embrace that side of yourself and, and like, stop covering these kids' eyes, like let them see the world, let them experience the goods and the bads. And I get like our, these parents, they want to shelter their children and give them this, you know, this life of all goodness. And I think that's great. But sometimes when you get to experience some of the other darker things or the things that maybe a couple years out of what should be for them, it's just going to shape them. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it. that some topics are too mature for children. Like, I think that that's a big problem that people like have banning like, books in schools. Like yeah. you gotta be kidding me. Grow up. What's one thing you wish you could tell your teen self? Let's see. I would probably tell my teen self to surround yourself with the people who bring out the magic in you 
instead of the madness, because the tribe that you keep really affects you very deeply. So your levels of happiness, the way that you view yourself. So, I mean, you want people who are cheering for you, who are want to see your successes and want to bring positivity to your life. And it might be hard sometimes to let go of the ones that don't, but you will feel liberated once you do. I love that. That's perfect. <laughs> Thank you. So let's talk about Cider Milk Coven because that's what we're here to do. Sure. I could this, talk about Cider Milk Coven all day, baby. I, so bring it <laughs> on. Like, I am, this is my life. I'm immersed in it. And it's so nice now that there's actual readers out there. And it's just, I mean, these characters have lived in my head for so long and I mean, bless my husband's heart, but he must be exhausted. Like how many times can we discuss grandma Lydia or (laughs) Raven? It's like, he's such a trooper (laughs) and I think he really does love it, but, um, but it's nice to have some girlfriends now to share the love with. So please hit me with your questions. So this story, as you said, is about three cousins who suddenly start feeling a bit magical I loved the little details that you gave us about Raven, Killian, right? Yeah, Killian. Okay. Um, And Adelaide, like Raven's dream of being a director, Killian's love of music, and how smart and determined Adelaide is. But I want to know a little more about your other characters. Who was your favorite non-main character to write? Hmm. Let me think about this. I'd have to say, I'm going to go with Dax. And at the risk of giving any spoilers, because that's the last thing I want to do for you guys. I, there's so much of Dax, Dax and Corey, his character that reminds me of my husband and, um, you know, just the way that, so there, there are elements of a forbidden love in the story guys. So we'll not give anything of which way, how, who, but Dax the quality of writing the scene when, when our leading lady first meets him and their unconventional love story, will they, won't they type situation is so similar to what I experienced with my husband. And so to get to relive some of those on paper. And so um, even just writing through, going through the book at the end of the chapter, when I felt like, all right, I've revised this chapter and like beat it into submission. Like it's time to get second eyes on here. My husband would actually sit down with me. He would read over my shoulder. I'd read aloud to him and he's big into movies and all that stuff. So he can look at a scene from a cinematic perspective and say, you know, "Mm, maybe we let's work this a little bit, or, you know, maybe this might be a little bit better. I call him my refinement guy. And so when he was sitting over my shoulder and we were reading some of those scenes together to get to relive that in, in essence was just so freaking cool. And um, definitely one of the highlights of the writing experience because it's it was transportive for me and for him. And I hope it, it inspires the readers to feel that same way. That's so cute. And I definitely see like that very natural back and forth between the two characters. Mm-hmm. So I think that you, you too did a great job on that. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I hope the readers enjoy it. <laughs> My favorite non-main character was Grandma Lydia because See, I, I feel like connected. Grandma Lydia kind of is a main I, character yeah, though. Yeah, that's true. But, that's but please true. go on. Tell me um, what you think about her. Because <laughs> she's such a, she's such a, cool grandma in the way that I always wanted my grandmas to be where she bakes and all this stuff but then she's like 
a badass. I appreciate her tenacity and her feistiness, but, um, but also how she could be like, here, let me, let me, you know, give you a sock in the face, but then here, I baked you a pie. So everything's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what inspired you to write cider milk oven? Hmm. You know, I always felt like at some point I had a book in me. I didn't want, I wanted to bide my time. Cause I mean, did I have anything worthwhile to say in my twenties? Probably not. I needed that life experience to kind of get a better gauge on character development and really getting into the psyche of some of the older characters, the younger characters and the life experience. But when, of course, when the pandemic hit and you are a little bit more reflective, we were all a bit more isolated and that's where the characters really started to come to life in my mind. And I was just, it was a, a way of escapism for me during that time. Um, and also I, I was doing a lot more reading too. And not to knock any other writers, like there's so many, there's, I mean, the, the amount of great books out there is limitless. You can just spend your nose inside a book all day, but the ones I was seeking out and op- cracking open and like expecting this on paper. And I was like, oh, like this, this is what I wanted to happen. Or these were the, this is how I expected the characters to go and it did it. And I was searching for this story that, I I mean, I guess apparently did not exist. So I was like, I'm going to make it. (laughs) And then, you know, that's kind of how I, I've been with a lot of creative stuff in life. Like I, I do a lot of my like custom interior design stuff or, you know, doing a lot of the, the website things that I do for career wise. So it's like, if you have something in your head, head I have the ability to bring that to life and and for writing for me this was the first time I was able to do that in this medium and it was just so so much fun I, I love that I um it'll already be out by now but I have been researching Beverly Cleary because I'm okay. doing a one of her books um and she's because especially when she was a child of the 20s and 30s they she, there was just not a lot of like kids books there isn't YA was not a thing but mm-hmm. she's but when little kids would like say why why did you write this where did you get this idea from and she's like I just wanted to write about my life I wanted to write about my neighborhood the kids in my neighborhood and there was nothing like that then so yeah. it's exactly what you said like she wanted to read she wanted to write what she wanted to read and yes. I love that and I, I think that's a really important takeaway too for writers where it's like you know, sometimes everybody goes through writer's block and you're trying to figure out what's my next story, what's my next move. And you have to have to go with something that you love, not only because it, if you don't love it, your readers sure shit aren't going to love it, but you're going to be spending so much time with these characters and everything that you're creating. So it's got to be authentic. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's going to be a painful experience for you. Um, and I just, I was like, man, I want to write the book that I want to read. So I hope that resonates with people. I hope they see that in my storytelling, but I guess time will tell. (laughs) I definitely can feel your love for those characters. Um, And speaking of characters and other books, movies, uh, what would you say your favorite pop culture witch or magic person is? Hmm. You know, when it comes to the witches, there's a lot of great ones out there, but some of them are 
they're not great friends. I mean, like <laughs> I was, I was mulling over this question because of course my husband's like, oh, Winifred Sanderson, Sanderson, but it's like, man, she is not pleasant to the people in her circle. No, so she's mean. <laughs> I, yeah. So part of me wants to say Samantha Stevens from Bewitched because I just love how she has her magic, but she doesn't let that identify, like define who she is. Um, you know, it, of course that's quite a bit earlier than the nineties, but Melissa Joan Hart's Sabrina the Teenage Witch holds such a special place in my heart. I grew up with that. Her, of course, Salem. Oh my God. I would, I wouldn't do to have Salem Saberhagen as my own personal familiar. Um, and then of course, uh, not to harp on 90s con, but I got the pleasure of meeting Melissa Joan Hart in March. And it was just so, so cool to have seen my younger self who loved the witches and, and all the magical things in life. And then I came to her table with cider milk coven in hand. And, you know, it was, it was just so gratifying to kind of like have that outer body experience and be like, look at your childhood self and your adult self and, you know, to see how far I've come. Yeah. That's so special. It was special. a sweetheart, by the way. <laughs> I love that. I loved Sabrina too. I have a bunch of the chapter books from, yes, from the show. I uh, loved how they had all the different small books. Like you just quick mm-hmm. little nibbles that you could enjoy. Yes, I still read those. They're so cute. And the guy who played Harvey went to my high school a couple of years before I, I got into high Get school. out of here. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is <laughs> That's so our cool. claim to fame for North St. Wow. Paul High School in Minnesota. <laughs> Wow. Well, you guys should be proud because Harvey Kinkle was, was everything in the nineties. His hair. So cute. He was a cutie pie. What do you want your readers to take from your book? Any lessons, emotions, anything? There's a lot of different elements that I tied into the story. I feel like sometimes some reader, some writers can get on their soapbox and they have like this general theme that they want to keep beating the reader over the head with it. And, you know, I kind of have some subliminal things in there that it's kind of my takeaway for the reader. But um, for example, our focus as a society on vanity and material things and, and that that shouldn't be the main goal at the end of the day. So you'll see a little bit of that in my story, of course. Uh, don't do harm to others, which is, you know, something that you hear a lot in just witch code in general. Um, And then, of course, like I mentioned earlier on in the episode about the inclusivity and my story captures people of all different walks of life. And there's a line in the story from Grandma Lydia herself was, there's no right, one right way to be a witch, my dear. And there's so many different ways you can go about living life. And it's not just about witchcraft or practicing green magic or dark magic or this or that, but it's kind of a, um, a statement on society and just embracing your own path, your own happiness. And of course, um, you know, again, trying to sidestep any spoilers, there is a magical elixir in the story where it has been keeping, keeping witch hunters dormant. So unknowingly, some of the um, the covens are sharing it with with just ordinary people so that they don't get any sneaking suspicion of witchcraft because if they did the you know the outcome could be catastrophic and it's it is a commentary on society you know they're afraid that they're going to be discovered because what that might mean 
because they're a minority group and they're misunderstood. And think of the Salem witch trials and how, how the satanic panic probably caused the death of so many innocent women just because they were wearing black or, you know, had a, had a black cat and it just seemed out of character to the other normal people in society. So the fact that I have that kind of subliminal storyline within the book, it does speak to that. You know, minority groups are underrepresented and again, not trying to beat the reader over the head with it, but it's there. And I feel like that was kind of my message to, uh, you know, just leave a mark that not all young adult needs to be like, like we said, give the reader some credit. They can grasp these things, these deeper messages that, that have more important implications. One of my favorite things about witch stories is how much they connect with, as you said, like people who didn't always fit in with the, you know, the standard culture. Heard somewhere that the like witch stories pop up a lot more when, when women are getting their rights taken away. So expect to see a lot more witch stories coming up. Oh, interesting. Yes. Well, the feminists and, you know, smashing the patriarchy, I'm all for that mentality. And I feel like maybe those exact words were not something you heard in the nineties a lot, but my characters most definitely embrace that attitude. And um, it, it was cool to put that onto the pages. And I look forward to hearing what people think about it and how it affects them in their own personal life. If they do identify in you know, the uh, LGBTQ plus community, or of course, with the whole Black Lives Matter movement and some of those um, you know, deeper conversations, because down the road, of course, there's going to be a book two, hopefully a book three. And I'm only gonna get further into that. Um, you know, as time progresses. So let's see where this goes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for coming on here and talking about Cider Mill Coven. It is out right now. I will have links in the show notes. Go read the book because it is phenomenal and I cannot speak highly enough of it. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Please come back. We'll talk about other fun books or movies or TV shows. Sabrina, we can talk about Sabrina. I love that show. Yes, let's please. Why don't we do an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch versus the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina? Because there's a lot of differences here and I need somebody to vent to, to be honest. You are speaking my (laughs) language. So that was my interview with the amazing Vanessa Abigail Lambert. And guess what? We are doing a giveaway together on Instagram. So go check hers out at Cider Milk Coven and mine at To All The YA. I will have them linked below. We are giving away a lot of cool swag from both of our brands. And most importantly, a signed copy of Cider Milk Coven, which you all need to go out and read because it is phenomenal and I cannot speak highly enough of it. So thanks everyone again so much for stopping by and listening and I will see you next week. Bye.